Uh, if you have a Bible, today we are in James chapter 4. We're going to come to the end of James chapter 4. And uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you need a Bible, uh, slip your hand up. There's an usher in the back. He's a Cowboys fan. He'll come and bring a couple of these forward to you. And uh, Seahawks fan is going back to help him. That's a good thing. Um, <laughs> um, you know, as we are coming to the end of James chapter 4, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm thankful about the book of James is I'm thankful there's only five chapters in the book of James. Because I don't know about you, but I just find this book to be uh, very relevant for my own life. I find it to be uh, challenging and hard. And I think the thing that is so important for us to do is, is I love how this book it helps us to wrestle with the idea that, that what we say we believe, that our faith in God should actually have an impact on how we live life. Like our, our actions should actually match the faith that we proclaim in God. And so as we've wrestled the last couple of weeks, we've been wrestling with this idea about how our natural self wants to live in pride. We want to live in this pride that we are self-sufficient, that we're pretty great people, that we have so much to offer. And so we live in this way where we, we live self-sufficiently. And on the other side, James is saying, no, don't live in pride. We're supposed to live in humility. And in humility, when we live in humility, this is where we understand. Man, we're broken. We are broken people. We're bent towards sin. And we need God's grace in our lives. We are dependent on him to help us achieve all that God has called us to be. And so this has been my own wrestling match. Is this idea that so many times we want to live in, in pride and self-sufficiency. And yet I know God calls me to live in humility and dependence on him. And so this is a battle that's been going on in my heart for a couple of weeks now. And uh, I'm not sure if you've been wrestling with it, but man, this book is, is just very good today. Um, today is going to be no different than the last couple of weeks. Uh, James is going to continue to wrestle with this idea about pride and, and humility. And today um, is a very relevant topic. Um, there's a pastor by the name of Craig Rochelle, and he coined this term called Christian atheism. And I think this is kind of the context of what we're going to be looking at today. See, atheism, atheism, this is my definition of atheism. I think that there's enough evidence out there to prove that God exists. So I would say atheism is refusing to believe or acknowledge that God exists. Because if we believe that God exists... That means that there is a ruler of this world. There is a, a, a sovereign ruler of this world who has the authority to dictate how things play in this life as well as how things to play in my life. Okay? And so Christian atheism then, Christian atheism is, is we can love Jesus and we can worship Jesus, but we can live in a way as if he doesn't exist. We can live in a way as if he's not sovereign over our lives. And this is going to be, this is going to be the, the, the thing we're going to wrestle with today about this Christian atheism, about, about how we can love Jesus and we can serve Jesus, yet we can make decisions in our life that don't reflect his involvement at all. And we just do our own thing. And we sure we worship Jesus on Sunday, but then Monday through Saturday, we live as if we are sovereign, as if we are in control of our lives. So if you would do something different with me today, if you would, um, I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me as we read um, our, our text today. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And I uh, invite you to stand with me as I read. You can follow along on the screen or follow along in your Bible. And here's what James writes to us today. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Let's pray. God, just thank you so much for this opportunity to be gathered here today. That we have the opportunity to open up your word. That God, you have desired to draw us into a relationship with you. To help us know you more. And so God, I pray as we open up your word today, that God, you would give us understanding. That you would speak to us. That you would draw us to yourself. God, I pray that you would uh, convict us where we need to be convicted today. That you would encourage us in the areas we need to be encouraged. That ultimately, God, you would help us to see you greater. To see you for who you are. God, we just plead for your presence on us now. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. So I told you what we're going to wrestle with today is this idea of Christian atheism. About how we can worship Jesus, but then we can make decisions in our life that don't reflect his sovereignty in our life at all. And so there's, there's three different ways I see Christian atheism playing out in this, test, in this text. And that's what we're going to be looking at right now. And so... The first thing of this is what Christian atheism looks like, okay? This is, if you say, this is what it looks like. The first thing that James is going to teach us is Christian atheism has a tendency towards self-sufficiency, okay? This is what James said in verse 13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, Okay, what James is doing, and James is, is talking about a specific group of people. He's talking about Christian business leaders. He was saying that this is what they do. They, they, they look at their plans and they say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going to be there for a season. I'm going to make a profit. And this is what I'm going to do. But we need to understand that even though James is specifically talking about Christian business leaders, this applies to every one of us. Like if you've ever made a plan, James is writing to you. If you've made a plan to go and do something, to go someplace, James is writing to us. Typically, and I don't know, typically there's two types of people. Okay, and I'm not sure which type of person you are. How many of you would say that I'm, I'm a planner? Like you are detail-oriented, you like schedules, you like uh, goal-driven. Go ahead and raise your hand, it's okay. You know, that's, that's a good thing, you know. Uh, we love people like that. You bring value to the church, all right? So how many of you would say you're the opposite? You tend to be more passive, you tend to be laid back, you tend to, uh, you don't really need a plan, you can be flexible and see what tomorrow holds, you just go with the flow. How many of you are, are, are like that? See, I find myself more like that type of person as well. Like, I'm just more laid back, and, and what's important we need to understand is, man, the church needs, like, both types of people. Like, there's a value that you planners and you organizers, there's a value you bring to the church, as well as there's a value that those that are more passive and laid back that we bring to the church as well. And this is where the body of Christ, we become diverse. And that's a good thing because we, bring, we all bring strengths that the church needs. Okay? And so James, as he's writing this passage, what do you think the problem is? Do you think the problem that James is writing about is people making plans? Do you think the problem, like, like maybe if you're one of those passive people, maybe you can be like, see, this is why. James is saying, I'm I'm right. You, you planners, you're wrong. Like, I'm right. James is talking about not making a plan. But that's not what James is talking about. What James is saying is there are people who are, 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 are making a, a decision. Uh, and they're, they're making this decision wholly independent of God. They're looking at their own wisdom, their own strength, their own opinions, their own uh, knowledge. And they're making these decisions 
completely independent from God and saying, man, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do because I'm good enough and I'm going to make my plans. And so the problem is not organization and making plans and being goal-oriented. The problem is making all those plans completely independent of God, being self-sufficient. See, what happens is, is in Christianity, we like to separate the different parts of our life. And so you've got this little part over here, and this is our, our, our Christian part of our life, where, sure, we love Jesus, and, and we've prayed the prayer, and we've, we've believed in the gospel that we're saved by the grace of God. We, we serve in the church, and this is this little part of life over here. But then we've got this other little part of life, and this is my, 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 my work. You know, this is, this is where God's wired me to be, uh, 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 you know, uh, given me a, a mathematical mind. So maybe I'm, a, a, maybe I'm an engineer. Or maybe, maybe I work in a classroom and I work in the school system. Or maybe, maybe I'm a student. And so this is my, my, my work portion. This is what I do. And it's separate from my faith side of it. Like, this is, this is just who I am. So I'm going to go and just do these things because it's different. And then we've got this other section. And this is our, our, our entertainment section of life. And, and over here, this is our family section of life. And we've got all these little segregated areas of life that we say, hey, these are all segregated. They're not connected. And, and what James would say and what God would say is that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like when we really come into a relationship with God, with Jesus, like he should have influence over every part of our life. And this is the point that James is trying to get across here is that when we segregate our faith and we say, this is our faith life over here, but this is my work life and I'm gonna make my own decisions in my work life. This is what James is saying is a problem. When we live completely self-sufficient from God, where we can love Jesus, we can worship him, but in this area of life, I'm, uh, man, I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm on my own. I can handle this myself. And this is the issue that James is talking about. Christian atheism looks like completely living as if the decisions we make are self-sufficient from God. The second thing that Christian atheism looks like is that we assume that we have control over our tomorrow. Okay? Uh, this, is where, this is where the guys, they make all the plans and they say, this is what I'm going to do. What, what I'm gonna do. Tomorrow I'm going to go to such and such a place and I'm going to, to make a profit. And here's what James says in verse 14. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. See, Christian atheists, they assume, hey, I know what tomorrow is going to hold. I know what tomorrow is going to hold because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control it. I'm going to map out my schedule. I'm going to map out what's going to happen. And I'm going to control what's in front of me. Now, again, I've already said I'm, I'm one of those passive people where, where organization doesn't come natural to me. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for people in my life who are more organized, who are planners, because they help me to be better. So I think about uh, Jason. Uh, I think about Danielle Smith. I think about my wife. I'm thankful for those people around me who are a little bit more organized and, and detail-oriented because they help me to be better. And so... Because I understand that organization is important, I've had to work hard to, to get better at organization and planning. And so I, I've read a couple of books, Getting Things Done by, by Alan. I've read um, Seven uh, Habits of Highly Productive People. And, and, you know, you look at all these different books and you can learn some skills to get better at this organization thing. And so what I do to get better at organization is every Monday morning, I take about an hour and a half. And what I do is I, is I journal out all the things I have to do. And I begin to prioritize, okay, what are the most important things I need to get done this week? And I think about, I think about, um, and then I take that, that, those priorities, and I begin to map out my week. And I schedule my entire week. And so this past week, 
uh, I'm taking a continuing education class, so I knew I had this class and the, these assignments I had to work on. Um, this past week, I knew I wanted to connect with Jason. Jason was going to be headed out of town, so I needed to spend some time to, uh, to make sure he was on the right page. I had sermon prep that I had to schedule. I had a few people I wanted to connect with. Um, my kids had conference week at school, so I wanted to make sure I scheduled time in so I could go to their conferences. Uh, my wife, I wanted to make sure we had time to do lunch this week. And so I, I mapped out my entire week, and I had, I had each day scheduled, uh, uh, this is what I want to accomplish, here's the priorities, here's the things I need, uh, I need to get accomplished. And this is what happens. You and I, we make our schedule, we make our plans, and we say, this is what tomorrow's going to hold. And then we get the call. Or we get the text. And we get the text, and, and everything changes. And it might be, it might be, some, most of these things are completely out of our control. So maybe, maybe you get the call, hey, hey, the car's broke down, and I've got to, you know, I've got to get the car to the shop, and I don't, I don't, you know, now we're down to one car. Maybe it's, maybe it's, um, maybe it's uh, someone, someone comes to town, someone you love calls and says, hey, hey, I surprise, we're coming to town. And so then you have to throw your schedule out, out the window so you can spend time with this person coming to town. Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a health issue. And whatever it is, you and I, we get the call, we get the text, we get whatever it is, and we realize, hey, we have no control about tomorrow. So for me, this week, again, I had all my plans made Monday morning. And Monday afternoon, I'm, I'm busy working, and I get a text message from my wife. She said, Ava, rebroke her arm. You need to come home now. And I remember sitting here thinking, I don't have time for this. Like, do you realize all the things I have to get done this week? And, and I get this call, Ava rebroke her arm. And if you didn't know, my daughter is, is nine years old. She just turned nine. Uh, this past April, she broke her arm. She broke both bones and had to go in and have surgery and, and, and got it all, all repaired. And then Monday, she tried to ride a, a, a skateboard and she fell and she rebroke both arms in the same place. And so the reality of it, even though I had my plans all mapped out, the reality of it, we spent Monday afternoon and evening at, at the uh, emergency room at the hospital. We spent uh, Wednesday afternoon meeting with a surgeon and going through the, the whole ordeal there. And we spent Friday, we spent all day at Memorial Hospital doing the surgery and, and all these things. And, and the reality of it is um, we try and make plans and we try and dictate what tomorrow holds, but we don't know anything of what tomorrow holds. Like, we don't have any control. And some of us, we become these, these, these uh, planners and these organized people, and we, can, we try and control everything in our life. The reality of it, we don't have anything. We don't have any control over what tomorrow holds. In fact, another way that my schedule got thrown out this week, like Wednesday night, I was like, I'm going to make up some work time. Like, I, I need to get some stuff done, and I'm going to make up on Wednesday night. And I don't know what you were doing Wednesday night, but if you happen to turn on the television... Like, there was this amazing thing happening on TV where history was being made in front of our eyes. And you had the, the Game 7 of the World Series. The Chicago Cubs, Cleveland Indians, Chicago Cubs had not won the World Series in 108 years. And I happened to turn on the TV around 8 o'clock. And I was sucked in for an hour and a half. An hour and a half, I was watching history unfold in front of my eyes as the game went into extra innings. And then they had a rain delay. And then the Chicago Cubs came back and won the World Series. Like, I didn't plan for that. Amen for that. Like, I didn't plan for that. And this is, this is the reality of our life. And the truth is, now we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what the next hour will bring. Because every one of us in here, when that phone begins to, to beep and buzz in our pocket, that 
text, that phone call, can immediately begin to change everything that you had planned. It can immediately change your life. And you and I, we are ignorant about what the future holds. And as much as we try and control what the future holds, we have no power to dictate what comes in front of us. Yet, how many times do we live in this way? How many times do we try and control what tomorrow holds? I mean, you and I could probably tell story after story about the the times that we planned and we organized and we had, this is what it's going to look like. And then life happens. And it didn't, I mean, most of us could probably tell story after story of how something happened and, and everything changed our plans. And this is the reality of life. We can't control what the future holds. So not only Christian atheism, not, as, not only does it look like uh, someone who's self-sufficient, not only does a Christian atheist assume they have control over the future, but listen, also a Christian atheist assumes that they have a long life ahead of them. See, this is what James wrote in verse 14 again. He said, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He says, we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Listen, I want you to get a picture in your mind. The the picture, when I first read that, I I think about fog. James is not talking about fog. Because if you you drive over to Ellensburg, oftentimes, I love the Ellensburg Valley because you can see this, this, uh, if you go in the morning, oftentimes there's this fog that just lays over the valley for for hours. Okay, and it's this beautiful thing uh, coming down into the hill. You get to see, you get to be above it. Listen, James is not talking about a fog that that lasts for a period of time. James is saying our life is like a mist. And a better way for you to get a picture of a mist is think think about a cold morning. You go outside on a cold morning and you breathe. And you can see your breath. And then it's gone. You're outside a little bit longer than you breathe again. You want to see, hey, is it still cold enough for me to see my breath? And, and, And it's there for a minute and then it's gone. Listen, this is what James is talking about, about our life. Our life is like a mist. We are, we are finite. Like, like our life can be over and can change in the blink of an eye. I mean, think about this. Think back five, 10 or 15 years. Think back in your own life, 10 or 15 years. Like what was the coolest thing that you owned 10 or 15 years ago? Like how obsolete would that be today? Like I remember 15 years ago, cell phones. Like, like, like the old Nokia cell phone. Like how many of you had one of these cell phones like that? Like, that was the phone in the day, right? Like, that phone, like, what could you do on that phone? Like, you could, you could make a phone call. Like, if you were really tech-savvy, you could figure out how to send a text message and, you, you know, push a button three times to get one letter. That, that, that phone had three games on it. Three games. Like, one of them was the worm game. You remember the old worm game? It had a battery life of, like, four hours. Like, it, it would be dead in a day, right? Okay, how many of you now have a, have a smartphone? Like, like, raise your hand if you got a smartphone. Like, I, I, I don't know. They don't even sell this phone anymore. And you think about, like, like, 10 to 15 years ago, in the grand scheme of things, man, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, seems so long ago. Like, 15 years ago, I think about Adam. 15 years ago, Adam was playing in the jungle gym. Like, and now he's here getting married, and this is great and exciting to see. Like some of you, 15 years ago, you had kids in your house. And now you're in the season of, of empty nesting and trying to figure out what this looks like. Man, I think about this. I found this picture of my wife and I. Okay, this was taken almost 16 years ago. Almost 16 years ago. And you know what I find about this picture? Like in that picture, 15 years, I was 50 pounds lighter. Like I had a full head of hair. 
Like when this picture was taken, my back didn't hurt all the time. Like, like 10, 15 years ago, like, like that seems like a lifetime ago. And what happened? Life happened. Life happens all the time. We think we have all this time in the world, but it just goes by so fast. It goes in a blur. In fact, I remember when my wife and I started having kids, I remember one of my mentors said, hey, you need to take advantage of the time with your kids. Like enjoy them while they're young because it goes by so fast. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. And you know what happened? You know what happened? My oldest son, Cameron, he played on the keyboards this morning. He's a freshman in high school. Like he's not a little boy anymore. And I'm struggling with this because I want him to be a little boy. Like it was so much fun, but he's growing up and it happens so fast. It happens in, in a blur. And this is the idea of, of our life as a mist. It's here and then it's gone. And you know what difference it makes when we understand that life is a mist? Is we begin to prioritize things better. Because we understand how, how short and how quick life goes. Then we can begin to focus on what truly matters. We can begin to prioritize the important things. There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12 that, that illustrates this guy who did not learn this lesson soon enough. There's this dude that, James, that Jesus writes about, and the dude was a farmer, and he, was, he did well farming. And, and he had been blessed, and he had a lot of return. And he, and he looks at all this excess he has. He looks at all this, this wealth that he has, and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can store stuff so I can retire and I can just enjoy the rest of my life. I can take the easy route. I can have all the things I want. And, and Jesus offered his assessment of this man. He said that life was foolish because little did that man know that that night his life would be taken from him. This guy pursued all the comforts he could, assuming he had a long life in front of him. But that night, his life was taken from him. The reality is, this guy should have invested his life, his life in things that truly matter. And what are the things that truly matter? Well, I'd say this. You know, you can invest your life in all the things that this world has to offer. But there's only two things in this world that are truly eternal. There's two things that are eternal. God and people. The only two things that are eternal is God and people. And this man, he would have done much better to invest his, his, his resources, invest his time in people whom God loves. He should have invested in them rather than on whatever luxury item that he could have pursued. And this becomes a challenge for, for, for us in here today. Where we look and we think, I've got all the time in the world. I want to enjoy my retirement. I want to enjoy whatever season of life I'm in. Listen, listen. If we understand the brevity of our life. Man, it frees us from pursuing all of those things to begin to invest our time in what truly matters. Like, have you realized how short your life is? Like, what are the things that you would want to do? Solomon, he was the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. He says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. He says, it's better for us to go to a, a funeral service and be reminded about the brevity of life than it is for us to have these wild parties. Because when we are reminded of the, about the brevity of life, man, it makes us prioritize things a whole lot differently. In fact, the, the Puritans, the Puritans in uh, uh, northeast, northeast part of our country, 
way back long ago, okay? When they, when they were building their, their cemeteries, oftentimes you'd see a cemetery around a church. And then as soon as that church became full, you know where they put the cemetery? In the very center of town. That way, as they're going in to, to do business, as they're going about their day, and they pass through the middle of town, it was a reminder to them, listen, life is short. Take advantage of the time that you have because it's going to be over sooner than we realize. And this is where, man, our lives are brief. You've got to focus on your priorities. Thinking about this, thinking about how many of us are in this situation, we're like, you know what? I really should have this conversation with somebody. I really should come and, and say, hey, man, I see where you're going. It's not a good route. But we think, no, I've got plenty of time. I'll do it later. I'll do it another day. How many times do we think about things like, you know, there's this conflict with this person, but, you know, rather than dealing with the conflict, I'm just going to give it time to let it work itself out. How many times do we think, man, I need to make sure this person understands about God and, and comes into a relationship with him. But you know what? I don't want things to be awkward right now. I'll do that later. Listen, there may not be a later. Because time flies faster than we realize. And I think of how many opportunities we miss to do what God has called us to do because we assume we've got all this time left in the world. This is where we've got to understand. We've got to realize the, the brevity of our life. And so this is, this is what Christian atheism looks like. We, we make decisions self-sufficiently from God, apart from God, independent of him. We, we assume that we can control what tomorrow holds. And we assume that we have a long life in front of us. And you know where this comes from? You know where this, this Christian atheism comes from? It comes out of our pride. It comes out of arrogance. This is what James says in verse 16. It comes out of arrogance. He says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. See, we live this way because we are arrogant and we assume that we're greater than we really are. See, it is arrogant for us to worship God with our mouth. It's arrogant for us to, to confess, hey, we love Jesus. But then to live our lives and dismiss the reality that God rules every aspect of our life. It is completely arrogant for us to do that. And James is, is warning us against this tendency. He understands our human nature has this tendency to create these separated parts of life. And you've got your faith part over here. You've got the rest of your life over here. And James is, is warning us against that tendency. He's saying, no, no, that's not the way it works. It's all one thing. And God is sovereign over all of it. And he's warning us against that tendency to try and, and control our lives and the direction of our lives. He's saying, no, God directs. God leads. Listen, I know that there are some in here, and what you've been doing is, is, is by the grace of God. Some in here, it is the absolute grace of God that those doors that you've been pushing on have not opened up. It is the grace of God because you've been pushing those doors. You've been seeking your will. You've been pursuing your own desires. You've, you've made it all about you. And you've done these things and you've been opening these doors and pushing on these doors because you assume that it will make your life easier. You assume that you will be happier. Listen, oftentimes it is the grace of God that he doesn't allow us to open the doors that we're pushing on that aren't what God wants for us. Question is, do you trust that God is in control? Do you trust that God has placed you exactly where you are? Like God has put you right where he wants you. Do you trust that God is trying to accomplish something in and through you right where he has placed you? 
Like perhaps God is trying to teach you something with where you are. Perhaps God is preparing you for something greater. In fact, I had a friend. I had a friend who was in, uh, wanted to pursue full-time ministry. This was his heart desire. God, God, would you let me work for the church? Would you let me be a, a pastor, a youth pastor? God, this is what I want. And this friend of mine began pushing and, and trying to open every door possible. And he, he goes to this church and he's serving this in this church and he's doing all he can and he, he's serving in every way possible because he's hoping, hey, this church is going to hire somebody and I hope they hire me. He's doing all these things until the pastor decides, hey, I'm not going to hire you. I'm going to hire this other guy. My friend was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, this is what I want. This is where I'm going in life. And he's so disappointed and frustrated. Finally, he just says, you know what, God? Okay, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to stop trying to open all the doors. And I'm just going to trust you. And sure enough, you know what happened as soon as he could just, in humility, trust God? And God opened a greater door. God opened a greater door. And he had a great opportunity to serve in ministry with a greater impact. And it came because he stopped trying to push open all those doors. He just trusted God. You are in control. You are working things out for my good and for your glory. And God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my trust in you now. And trust that you've placed me right where I am. That you have a plan and a purpose for what you're doing in my life. Listen, I think there are some in here. You've been pushing things. You've been trying to make things happen. I would just encourage you, man, just, just trust God. Just, just trust that God is sovereign and in control of your situation. Because listen, just as much as there are some in here today who are trying to force things to happen, there are some in here who you have lived the horror story of doing your own thing. You've lived that life. You've done your own thing and you've created the mess all around you. Like how many of you, that's your story? Like, I've tried to pursue my own thing. I've tried to live self-sufficiently. And I've left a wake of mess all around me. Some of you can tell that story. And say, man, it came from pride and arrogance. It came from assuming that I can make these decisions apart from God. Listen, this is where James just keeps hitting this idea time and time again. We can't live from arrogance and pride. We've got to live in that humility and dependent on God. Because not only, not only does James call our Christian atheism, not only does he call it arrogant, he also calls it evil. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And he says, all such boasting is evil. So here's where we're at. Christian atheism, living self-sufficiently from God. Christian atheism, assuming that we control what tomorrow holds and we, have a, we, we can control what it looks like. Assuming that we have a long life to live. It comes from this pride and arrogance. And it's evil. And here's where James is going to offer us some hope. Okay? He's going to say there's another way to live. You don't have to live in pride and arrogance. You can live in humility. And then this, here's how you overcome Christian atheism. You overcome Christian atheism by living in humility and understanding that you and I are dependent upon God. Our lives are dependent upon God. And here's, here's what James is going to say this looks like. He says in verse 15, this is what living dependently on God looks like. He says, instead, instead of making your own plans, instead of assuming you have all this to, to control, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. This is what you're supposed to do. 
Now you look and say, well, did James just say, I'm just supposed to say, add this, add this phrase to every sentence I make? Like, I can make my plans. If the Lord wills, then I'm good to go. It's not just, James is not talking simple semantics here, okay? James understands what Jesus said in, in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James isn't talking about the words that are coming out of our mouth. He's talking about a perspective from humility, from humility that impacts every word that we speak. He's talking about this, this understanding that we are wholly independent upon God. Because when we are wholly independent on God, this is not just a word we speak, it is a prayer of our heart. God, I understand. I'm dependent on you. So God, I'm going to make these decisions based on what you would have me to do and understand, God, I need you to, to give me direction and to help me understand what I'm supposed to do. I mean, you can consider the specifics that James writes about in this verse. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live. And this is where we begin to understand that our life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's here in an instant and then gone. Then we understand that God determines how long we live. You can't control whether you live or you die. God controls that. And we assume we've got some control over it. No, God is in control of that. And this either leaves you with a sense of fear or a sense of comfort. You are here today because of God's grace. Listen, this ought to be something that you say, man, if you're not living right with God, like, do you understand? Like, you are here today because of the grace of God. And this is an opportunity today to get things right with God today. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Like, how important is you and I coming before God today to make sure things are right with him today? Because we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. Like, that's how significant it is that we understand this. It is, it is uh, God determines how long we live. So we've got to understand that we've got to make sure we are living right with him because we don't know what tomorrow holds. In addition, James says, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we do that. See, not only does God ordain uh, the days of our lives, but God determines what we accomplish in our life as well. God determines what we accomplish in our life. I think about, think about this past week. I got that text message from Sam. I called her and she's like, meet me at the ER. And I jumped in my car and I just cried. I'm trying to drive across town. There's cars all over the place. I can't get around people. I'm not very happy with people in front of me that are going slow. And I'm just in tears. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm tired. I feel alone. I feel scared. And I'm in this moment, and, and, and I, got to the, I got to the hospital before Sam did. Sam pulls up, and it's like, would you take my car? I open the door, and I see Ava. She smiles and says, hi, Dad. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, this is not the way it should be. Like, how can you still smile right now, little girl? And this little girl, man, she's so tough. She's so brave. And she's so strong. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I am so grateful that God allows me to be your dad. She's not strong because of me. She's not this beautiful, confident little girl because of anything I've done. This is all the grace of God in her life. I'm, I'm a mess. And this little girl is an evidence to me of the grace of God in my life. 
and I can just become completely convinced that all the good things in my life are a result of the grace of God. Like, I, I, I don't have that much to offer. Like, I'm not that great. God determines what we do. God is sovereign, and God is in control of every aspect of our life. And just thinking about this, thinking about all the good things that have happened in my life, and you can think about all the good things that have happened in your life. Like, why have those good things happened? Are they because you are so great? Are they because you are so wonderful, because you have so much to offer? Or is it because of the grace of God? God working things out that you can't explain. Like, you don't, it's hard to explain. Like, why did God choose to bless you? Why has God chosen these good things for your life? The grace of God. And I can look at my daughter and say, she's strong not because I'm such a great dad. She's strong because of God's grace in her life and in mine. My greatest accomplishments in life are less because I'm great and because I have so much to offer and more because God is gracious. Have you seen this in your life? Have you seen this play out in your life? God runs all of it. God is sovereign and God is in control. And what you and I have is because of him. And he determines what we do. So here's how the will of God works. You say, we're supposed to live according to the will of God. Here's how you know the will of God in your life. First thing, you've got to turn to the word of God. You've got to search the Bible. And see, what I'm, what I'm surprised in, listen, I, I know sometimes reading the Bible is a struggle. You know, we think, well, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, I, you know, and I, I just, I don't always understand what I'm reading, you know, and I, I don't have all the time in the world. But listen, here, here's what I found in my life. Like when I'm making that commitment to read the Bible, listen, I can read 15 verses. And you know what happens sometimes? Sometimes 14 verses, I got nothing out of. They're just words. But then there's that one verse, and God just opens my mind to it. And God gives me a little nugget of truth, something I need to hear for that day, for that moment. This is what happens when we are committed to reading the word of God in our life. Hey, we can read a bunch, and it seems like God opens our minds to one thing that we need to hear for that moment, for that time. This is why we've got to make it a regular habit to be in the word of God. Because as you're making the plans for your life, as you're figuring out where God is, listen, God gives you that nugget of direction, of truth, of what you need to know. That guides your decisions for that day. That guides your plans. That guides what you're doing in your life. You've got to be in the word of God. Secondly, you've got to seek godly counsel. You've got to seek godly counsel. Let me tell you what I mean by godly counsel. Okay? I'm not talking about that weird aunt that you have. The weird aunt who's always talking about God, but actually never is involved in the community of God. Never is involved in the church of God. See, listen... When we're talking about seeking godly counsel, the reality is, you and I, we have blind spots. We have blind spots in our life. We have ways that we make assumptions about life. And you know why they're called blind spots? Because we can't see them. We can't see the blind spots in our life. And so, oh, I don't have any blind spots. But this is when we're in community, when we have people around us who love us, who can speak into our life. They can say, hey, you know what? Here's an area that I see being a blind spot for you. He's an area I think you need to, to grow in. I think you need to address in your life. This is why we've got to have the community and, and seek godly counsel around us. Seek godly wisdom. And this is where you can look and say, man, if God has given you godly parents, 
if he's given you a, a, a pastor and elders. I, I love the elders of our church. I hope you understand these guys are here to help us figure out what God is calling us to do and how God wants us to live, your, live our lives. Like, you can call these people. You can call a life group leader. You can call some of the leaders of our church. Listen, they would love to walk alongside you, to help you hear where you're at in life, and to give you, hey, here's, here's where I feel God is leading you. Here's, here's what I see God doing in your life. Like, they want to have that opportunity to help you figure out what God has called you to do. Don't make those decisions alone. Seek godly counsel from the people around you. Thirdly, how do you know what God's calling you to do? How do you know what God's will is? You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. See, when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit, who is God, he begins to take up residence in our heart to, to, to inform us, to empower us on how we're supposed to live our life. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he describes the Holy Spirit as a spirit of wisdom. And, and we ask, Holy Spirit, help us understand, help us, help us begin to understand the wisdom around us, to know what it is you called us to do. Lead us and guide us into truth, guide us into wisdom. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And James closes this section with something I think we also need to hear today. Verse 17, James writes this, and he says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. He says, if you know the right thing you're supposed to do and you fail to do it, that is sin. See, in the scripture, there's, there's two types of commands. There are two types of, of commands that, that, that God gives us. The first command, uh, first way to sin is what we would call a, a sin of commission. Okay? This is where God says, here's what, here's what. I don't want you to do this. Like, like don't, don't lie. Okay? And if you lie, that is a sin of commission. You've done what you're not supposed to do. It's active. Okay, uh, Jay, God says, do not covet. And if you covet, you begin desiring what other people have, that's a sin of commission. You've done it. You, you've acted upon it. That's a sin. Uh, that's an active sin. Okay. But there are, all, there are also these other commands in Scripture about things that we are supposed to do. And if we fail to do these, these are called sins of omission. Okay. Omission, we don't do the things that we're supposed to do. And as we look even at what James has, has called us to do in this book, James has said, hey, we are supposed to care for the needy. We are supposed to show mercy. We're supposed to practice the royal law, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? Okay? It's not just sin for us to lie and to steal and do those things. If we fail to do these things, that is sin. If we fail to love our neighbor as ourself, that's sin. And we like, to, we like to minimize, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. No, James and God is very clear. We think, about, we think about the Great Commission. How many of us view the Great Commission as a great suggestion? Like, 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 we, understand, like we understand, hey, we're supposed to preach the gospel, but maybe that's just for pastors. Maybe that's just for the elders. Listen, do you ever, do you ever have a guilty conscience over your lack of evangelism? When was the last time you invited someone to church? See, if you and I are supposed to proclaim the gospel and invite people into a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ, listen, to not do that, that is sin. Just as bad as lying and stealing and, and murdering and all those other things that we do. And this is not just a little thing. This is where James is trying to say, hey, listen, because life is short, because, because life is a vapor, 
We've got to have intentionality. We've got to live with our priorities right. When God calls us to do something, we've got to step into it and be obedient to the things that he's called us to do. And I just think about myself in this. God, what do you want me to get out of this? What am I supposed to walk away from today? So how many of us are living like Christian atheists? Sure, we can love Jesus. If we had to vote between Jesus and Satan, we'd vote on Jesus. Makes sense to me. But how many of us are living our lives as if he's not sovereign over the direction of our life? He's not sovereign over the things that you and I do. What areas of your life are you pushing your own will instead of God's will? What areas of your life are you saying, this is what I want in my life. This is what I want. And I'm just going to pursue that because I want that. It will make me happy. How many of you are loving Jesus, but living like life just depends on you? Listen, do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you trust God? That he has you in exactly where he's placed you. That he is working things out for your good and his glory. How many of us are investing in things that have no value? Life is short. How many of us have our priorities mixed up? Pursuing things that are not eternal. Pursuing things that don't last. So this should be a call and a reminder to us to ensure we're prioritizing the things we're supposed to prioritize. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?